morning, church. Uh, welcome into uh, the house this morning. So good to uh, see you here. Uh, house full again today. For those of you joining online, I want to give you a very special welcome. Another great worship. I think in addition to my personal time with God today, I think the greatest part of my day is hearing your declaration of God's greatness. That was amazing, fantastic, and God is great, isn't he? Uh, Worthy to be praised. I want to pick up on what Chris just read from that scripture of Psalm 139, and I want you to know just how important you are. You're not only important in this gathering here this morning, but, but let me just back up and say, your gathering here, your coming here is extremely important. Your role in this church, your presence here today means more than you, you can imagine. The church gathered is a very important uh, thing, but not only is it important that you gather here on weekends, but you are important as the church scattered throughout the week. I want you to remind, I want to remind you that this is not just a church on Sunday morning. The church is really what happens when you leave here and you're scattered through the week because this represents the role then that we play in our culture. In addition to what Chris already read from Psalm 139, I think one of the most impacting verses uh, from the Bible comes from Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4, where he says something very similar to what the psalmist said. But here's what Jeremiah says in chapter, or God says to Jeremiah in chapter 1, verse 4, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Now watch this. I love this part. God says, I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Just as God knew that Jeremiah was going to be alive at that specific time in history and used him as a prophet for that time, God also knew that you and I would be alive for this time in history. You and I are literally made and thought and prepared for this specific time in the history of our world. Sometimes we think it would be awesome to go back, right, and live or relive the good old days, right? Back when you could do business with a handshake. Back when marriage was between a man and a woman. Back before the time of social media. Back when, in the time when there was respect for authority, right? We love to go back, uh, the good old days. But God made you for today, God made you for today. He planned and prepared you for this time. From the very beginning, even before you were formed, even before you were born, God knew that there would be a pandemic in 2020. He knew that the political climate would be volatile. He knew the sacred institution of marriage would be challenged. He knew that there would be a time when it appears as if the culture is winning the war. He knew that there would be a worldview that excluded him. God knew that there would be a time when authority is not trusted and God planned and prepared you for that time. That's an exciting thought, first of all, to go, okay, God knew this day was coming, and here it is, here I am, let's go, let's go, right? You are created for this time. I am a Christian because I have been chosen by God. Now, he calls me his royal priesthood, his holy nation, his prized possession, and he has put me with that identity in this world at this time to reveal him. That's what our role is. We're here to reveal him. Now, I'll be honest with you, that identity that God gave me puts me at odds with this world. 
I don't connect with this world. We just don't fit in this world unless I lose that identity. Of course, then I do. I can blend in. But if I'm going to live out the identity that God has given me, I'm not going to fit in with, in, into this world. And so God inspires Peter to write to all Christians in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, and says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, right? People who don't really fit here. I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. The question that we're going to ask and answer throughout the entire month of November is what does that look like? What are those good deeds? What is it that attracts the world to Christ through us? What is it that we do? What is it that, that speaks loudly so that the unbelieving world actually sits up and takes notice? What is it that will change our world? Well, I'm going to give you an outline for the month of November, and it all comes from our text here. And number one is a gospel-centered submission to authority. A gospel-centered submission to authority. Number two, a mutual respect in marriage. Number three, a gracious response to suffering. And number four, a humble reception of God's grace. That's the outline for the entire month of November. Well, as I share this message with you today, the first one, a gospel-centered submission to authority... I'm, I'm, you're lucky there's another service that follows us because I think I'd just use our extra hour on this one if I had it, right? A gospel-centered submission to authority, what does that look like? How are we going to do that? Um, and I'm going to just ask you uh, today to kind of just lean in because I don't believe there's any more relevant message than this one that I could share with the church today. But it's also one that's going to mess with your emotions. It will mess with our passions. It will mess with even some of our belief systems. But I believe it's a message that will also help you understand the position that our church takes on political positions and responses to them. All I can do to ask, this morning is to ask you to just engage with an open mind and open heart this portion of the scripture. And, and, you know, it would really help me out probably if there were no applause today, because I don't want this to kind of take sides. And, and please, no, let's go Brandon Chance, all right? We good with that? That's going to help me out if you refrain from some of those things, right? I want to unpack, want to unpack some things here today that are going to hit right at our, our hearts and maybe some of our responses as we talk about what, what it means to submit to authority. Remember, as Christians, we're going to represent Christ to the world. That's what we do. The world is watching us. We represent Christ to the world, and the way that we do that is, number one, through a gospel-centered submission to authority. Stay with me because this all comes from the text. I kind of wish this weren't in here, but it is, right? So we're going to work through this. First Peter chapter 2, verse 13 says, Submit yourselves to the Lord for the Lord's sake to every, someone say every, every human authority. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. This isn't the only place in the Bible where it references submission to authority. In fact, Paul says it even more succinctly in Romans chapter 13, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. 
The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment upon themselves. Let's go right to the question that I know you're asking. It's probably going through your mind right now, and that is, what do we do, though, if we don't agree with the government? What do we do if we don't agree with that authority that's over us on a particular issue? Do we submit to that authority, or do we rebel, do we rebel against it? I want to go back and remind you a little bit of history here. First Peter was written most likely by the apostle Peter, somewhere between 60 and 65 AD. Now, if you know your history, that simply means that the emperor that Peter was talking about in this passage was none other than Nero. Nero killed his mom. I don't care what your relationship is with your mother. That's just not cool, right? No mama killing, right? You don't do that. Nero also killed his first wife. Historians, Octavius and other historians also believe that he killed his, his second wife. I mean, he was like evil beyond measure. This guy had an insatiable lust to build, right? And when the Senate wouldn't let him tear down parts of Rome so that he could rebuild there, he set fire to Rome. It was a massive fire that burned for days and days and days. And then he, then he blamed the Christians for starting this fire and had them persecuted. And so Peter comes along and he's talking within this context and he says, listen, I want you to submit to Nero, not because he was a good guy, not because he was of our political party, not because we like him, but because he's in a place of authority. And similarly, when Paul was in Damascus, he escaped from a strong man's city governor who was trying to arrest him. And Paul's like, uh, you know, he escapes through this window. He, gets, he puts himself in this wicker basket. He's hiding in there, all curled up in this wicker basket. And then they let him down outside of this building, right, down to the street. And he takes off and he gets away from this, this bad governor. And then reaching safety, Paul writes this surprising letter. And says, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities which exist have been established by God. So, so we've got this evil emperor, right? This evil king, president kind of guy, and this, this governor, strongman city governor, and Peter and Paul both say, let everyone be subject or submissive to the governing authorities. What do we do with that? Thinking of in our own context, what do we do with our, a president, a governor, a representative, a, you know, a, a senator, school board, whatever it is, whatever authority is, what do we do with that and this text if we don't agree with them? Well, I, I believe our text gives us three answers, and I'm going to walk through this. And like I shared with every other group that I spoke to uh, last night, earlier this morning, listen, I'm not expecting everyone to kind of agree here, but I'm just asking for an open mind. Just kind of listen in. Talk to me afterwards. Send me emails this week, whatever ever it is. I will stand corrected on anything that I say, right, if this is not the right thing. But follow with me because I believe this is all coming from the text here. And number one, what we do with this is, number one, show respect for authorities with whom you disagree. Remember what our role is. The role that makes a difference to the world is this. We show respect for authorities with whom we disagree. The Bible's filled with great examples of this, by the way. Uh, In spite of being uh, put into prison for crimes that he did not commit, uh, Joseph treated Pharaoh and the Egyptian guards with honor. 
Daniel and his three friends spoke respectfully of Babylonian's evil king, Nebuchadnezzar. David blessed and he prayed for King Saul, even though Saul wanted to kill David. And one day David actually had an opportunity to defeat Saul with his sword, but he resisted the temptation. Instead, he entrusted himself, watch this, David entrusted himself and the ways that King Saul had injured him to the God who judges justly. David wouldn't even speak negatively about Saul. In fact, do you know why? Because God, for reasons that only God knew, wanted Saul to be king for a certain period of time. And out of respect for God, David gave respect to Saul. Now, if it's true, as Paul writes in Romans 13, that there is no authority except that which God has established, then we respect God by respecting authority, even if we disagree with them. It's also true, the reverse is also true. If we disrespect authority, we disrespect God. So Peter writes and he says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Now, to help you understand this, we need to go back and and understand, first of all, what does it mean to submit? Because this is where we sometimes get it wrong. Uh, Submit is a Greek word, hupotasso, which has been translated as submit or to be subject. It literally means to arrange stuff respectfully in an order manner underneath. Okay, let me just read that again. To arrange stuff respectfully in an orderly manner underneath. Uh, Doug Coldsmith is preaching this message at the Greencastle campus uh, today, and so we were having some conversations this week, and we came up with this, perhaps, uh, picture of an umbrella, and we're in church, so superstition is is out here, okay? I'm going to open this in the building, right? So it's like this. To understand, perhaps, what, what it means to subject ourselves to authority or submissive to authority simply is this. We recognize that all authority, right, has been given by God. That's the umbrella. The umbrella authority is God. Now, as you read the Bible, there are four specific spheres of influence, authority influence, where the word subject is used in in the Bible, and that is with family, with government, with the church, and with business. All four of those areas are addressed in Scripture as areas in which we need to submit to authority. Now, God would say, all of that is under my authority. So family, government, business, and the church is all under the authority of God. We good with that so far? God is the one who gives all the authority. In fact, the Scripture says all all authority has been, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me from heaven above. Right Now, here's the thing. As long as we are working in this orderly manner under the authority of God, things are going to work well for us. The problem happens whenever you and I choose to step out from under the authority of God. Then our whole lives and everything under us just kind of gets messed up. Man, it's get, it gets ugly because now we're operating out of our own authority, and that does not work. Under the authority of God, it does. That's why it's so important that we recognize the authority of God. Now, if we're under the authority of God within that structure of family, right, government, church, and, 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 and uh, business, what happens if someone in that order, under that authority, steps out? Like, what if our government steps out of the authority of God, right? 
Uh, and we and they start doing things contrary to what God's will is. Listen, as long as the government is out there, but you and I are still under the authority of God, right? It is the government, it is those authorities that are responsible who will be judged by God, not you, as long as you're under the authority. So all this, all this is to say, like when, you, when it says to be subject to the authority, it means we line ourselves up under God's authority. Now, there's a lot more that we could say about that, and I'll, I'll unpack some of this as we get to this uh, next uh, definition. But there's no authority, just understand right now, there's no authority that except that which God has established. You and I need to get under what God has put over us so that we can get over what God has put under us. We need to get under the authority of God so that our right rule over the domain, our right responses to authority under us is right. The very moment that we step out from the authority of God, everything is messed up. So the authority of God and his word is really what's all about. Now, this word subject is used in Ephesians 5.22 to encourage husbands and wives to submit to one another, and it reflects God's concern for order and respect. To disrespect authority is to disrespect God. Now, there's another word, hupokao, which is best translated as obey, and that means to conform, to follow a command, to obey. It is important to note that neither Paul or Peter used that word when when they talked about subjection or submission to government. Used 21 times, 21 times in the New Testament, hupokao always suggests a hierarchical context, as in the relationship between children and slaves to parents and masters. Children, obey your parents. Slaves, obey your masters. We are never told in Scripture to obey our government authorities. Wives are never told to obey their husbands. They're to be subject to them, submissive to them. There's a difference. And so here's the important thing to remember. In the New Testament Greek, to submit does not always mean to obey. There are two separate actions or postures. Think about it. Paul, Peter, a whole bunch of other followers of Jesus Christ, they deliberately obeyed the laws of their government that were in conflict with God's commands, but they still submitted to the authorities by accepting the legal consequences of those actions. I want you to follow this because to submit to the governing authorities over you, the emperor or the governor, whoever's over you, does not mean that we need to obey them. In fact, there's times when we are called to stand up and speak out against something. We ought to obey God rather than man, right? Some of uh, Peter and Paul at times were told by the governing officials, you cannot speak anymore about God. I would have loved to have known how they responded to that, but, you know, I can only imagine Peter and Paul like, okay, we can't do anything else, right? This is what we're called to do. This is our mission. And they accepted the consequences of of being thrown in prison. Simply put, the law does not dictate our ethics. God does, right? And so there may be times for civil disobedience. There may be times, will be times, when we need to stand up and speak out. So I don't want you to misinterpret submission by saying that, oh, you're saying we just have to sit back and do nothing. No, that is not what we're saying. All all the scriptures would say, and how I interpret this, is that we respect authorities even if we don't agree with them. We good so far? All right, number two, the second response that will get the attention of the world is this. We engage, perhaps, the political process in a grown-up 
non-judgmental way. Now, those of you who are parents, you kind of know that your kids come into this world as, as, um, as, as self-appointed little sovereigns. You know what I mean? It doesn't take very long to realize that their world is all about them. So when that child grabs a toy from another person, it's like, mine, mine, right? I guarantee you the issue is not about the toy. The central issue is selfishness. When your child is defiant, right, it's not because they have intellectually examined and theologically processed all sides of the issue, and now they're simply standing up with conviction. No, they're buying right into the destructive delusion of self-rule. That's what your child is doing, because that's the nature that they've been born with. The fight's over when to go to bed, what to wear, what to watch on TV, and a condition of your child's room are not first about those issues. They are about the fundamental battle of the heart, who is going to decide how I live my life, right? That's the issue that your child is wrestling with. Nobody's going to tell me how to live my life, right? So they act out in this self-defiant way, but that's what children do. They act childish, but it is for that very reason. I want you to follow me here for a moment because it is for that very reason that Christ went to the cross. Jesus knew that your child would be born with a bondage to himself that only his grace could break. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15, and he, Jesus, died. Jesus died so that all those who live might no longer live to themselves. It's not about us. There's a natural resistance to authority in every child who has ever been born since the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. Every child in some way wants his or her own way. Every child thinks that being told what to do is a negative thing, right? Every child wants to write their own moral rules and follow their own life plan. This delusion, and I say delusion because I think it is, This delusion of the right to self-rule is one of the sad results of sin in, in all of our children. And that's why parenting, in order to respect authority, is so crucial. Teaching our children how to respect authority is absolutely essential. See, what 2 Corinthians 5.15 tells us is that your work is to establish clear, loving, consistent, biblical authority in the lives of your children. And when you do that, it's actually gospel work. It's gospel work. It's the center of what made the cross of the sacrifice necessary so that those who live might no longer live for themselves. There's been this heightened sense of questioning whether or not what we're seeing playing out in our world today are are signs of the times. Someone just told me this week that they have a coworker who firmly and adamantly believes that the vaccine is the mark of the beast. There are others who are wondering, perhaps, is the Antichrist among us now? Are we in a place right now? Is our world shaping up for one world government? And theories to all these things abound to this end. But there's one thing that I do know for certain as it relates to the end of times. And that is found in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, where uh, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, listen, there will be, mark my words, he says, Mark my words, there will be terrible times in the last days. And then he gives a whole list of things of what's going to happen. And number one in that list is this, people will be lovers of themselves. The last days will be all about selfies. Everybody fighting for their rights. Everybody wanting to do their, their things their way. Nobody going to tell me how to live. 
over and over again. A sure sign of the last times. I want you to think of the significance of this verse from 2 Corinthians 5.15. One of Jesus' primary purposes of going to the cross was to address this very thing. That the thing, the thing that no one is going to tell me how to live my life and tell me what to do. Jesus went to the cross for that. If you don't like mandates, the Christian life is not for you. It's not for you. The Gospel of John, chapter 13, Jesus says, says Jesus knew his hour was coming, right? It was time for him to go to the cross. And he brings all of his disciples together. They sit around this big table. They have this Passover meal. And at one time in this meal, just from the depths of his heart, Jesus pushes back, took off his outer garment, wrapped a towel around his waist, and he, he knelt down, and he began to wash his disciples' feet. He served them. And then after he did that, he said, guys, just as I have done to you, so you must do to others. It was a mandate. Here at Grand Point Church, in the course of Holy Week, we have a Thursday evening service called Maundy Thursday. Maundy is simply the Latin word for mandate. It's a mandate. If you don't like someone telling you what to do, you're not going to want to be a Christian because Jesus, in his love for us, puts out these mandates and these, these things that he calls us to. I'll get to another verse in a moment on that. However you interpret feet washing, whether literal or figure, it's a mandate, and it simply means that we're laying down our lives, we're laying down our self-centeredness, we're laying down our quest for self-rule for the sake of other people. Now, you might be thinking, but hey, what about my freedoms? What about my freedoms, right? Don't I have some freedoms? Don't I have some rights? Peter says in chapter 16, verse, for chapter 2, verse 16, okay, go ahead and live as free people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. You say, what? It's not freedom, is it? There's no kind of slavery that's freedom. Apparently, as God's slaves, it is. The freest freest life that you can live is to live as a slave to God. Live under God's authority. Live under God's commands. Follow the mandates that he has for your life. He purposed you. He planned you out of the greatest depth of his love for you so that you could make a difference in this world. Listen, there's nothing about God. There's no nature of God, nothing in him that says he wants to make life miserable for you. Nothing. Everything that he has given, everything that he has mandated is for our good. And he says, show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Slaves in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters. I don't like this next part, but it's here. Not only to those who do good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God, but how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong? Anybody does that. Anybody can follow someone that's good. But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, that is commendable before God. You know what that says? Okay, that says there is freedom. But it's not a freedom that says you can't tell me what to do. It's the freedom to live as God's slaves, to live under the authority that God has established over us. Anything less is childish. And listen, it's not only wounding our nation, 
but it's also having a devastating impact on the Christian faith. Now, I don't want you to miss this today. I know this is heavy. I don't want you to miss the main thing here, but our our response to authority, the way that we respond to authority is a key factor in our witness to the world. And it's not just how we respond to those who are good and considered and think like us, right? It's commendable. It's grown up. It's honorable if we respond well to those who are harsh, unjust, and even different from us. What if? Let me throw out a what if. What if every time we spoke of our government, we stopped and asked ourselves the question, is what I'm about to say or post honoring or is it divisive? See, we can choose to show honor and respect even if we disagree, right? That's the point. This is not about agreeing with everybody out there, every authority. I'm not asking you to do that. Neither is God or his word. But it is asking us to show respect and to honor those because every piece of authority over us has been instituted by God. Finally, let me just remind you that Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. Verse 21, Peter writes and says, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And here's the example. He committed no sin. There was no deceit found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and that we might live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For all of us, like sheep, we were going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Listen, I know you want your life to count. I want my life to count. I want to make a difference for something that really matters. And the world is watching. The world is watching how we respond to the authorities in our lives and in our world. They will make their decision based on on, on Christ, based on what they see in us. Now, I want to wrap this up this morning by just making sure you understand. My message today, and even what the message that comes from 1 Peter, is not calling us to sit back, be silent, and do nothing. That's not what this is about. Submission is not doing nothing. It's just, it's just showing respect to those over us, not being divisive in the process. It is our responsibility. It is our prophetic role to speak up and to speak out. It is our responsibility to get the lights on and get out of the salt shaker and make a difference in the world around us. It is our role to engage the community and the culture, maybe even by serving in public office, at least rubbing shoulders with those who are in public office, serving them, encouraging them. But it's how we do it that makes the difference. It's how we do it that matters. See, we can do all of that in a way that divides the body of Christ, or we can do it in a way that silences the ignorant talk of foolish people and causes even pagans to glorify God. Our response is absolutely essential. Listen, God planned and God prepared you and me for this day, for this time. Here it is. This time is here. Here we are, the church. Let's go. Let's go make a difference. Let's make a difference by respecting those in authority over us. Let's make a difference in our attitudes by serving others rather than trying to get out what's in for me. Let's make a difference by being the kingdom of God, serving the kingdom of the world around us. Amen? That's who we are. That's the identity that God has given us. 
Let's go. Would you pray with me? Father God, I just want to thank you for your word. I thank you that it is living, it is active. It's not always what we want to hear. It's not always how we think. But it's always for our good. Always, always for our good. And so as we tackled this couple of verses here today from 1 Peter when he talks about our response to authority, God, I just, I just ask, Lord, that you would help us to think through this and to maybe process this in our own minds and our, our own hearts. God, thank you for being the God who is over it all. I do thank you. I do thank you that in your providential plan, you have planned for government. You have planned for order. You have planned for uh, kind of things just working in, a, in a, a way that serves humanity the best. God, today I just, just want to pray for President Joe Biden. I know maybe this is hard for some of us to do. Maybe some of us have never done this, but I pray for him. And I pray, Lord, that he would fall under the authority of God, Almighty God, so that his rule and his thinking and his uh, works would just be uh, pleasing to you. you. Need to change his heart, Lord. I pray that you would do that. Also pray today for our Governor Wolf. I I ask, Father, that somebody, some way, somehow would be able to just come alongside him to be that encouragement, that role, that, that person that would also allow him to serve you well. Pray today for Senator Mastriano. Thank you so much, Lord, for, for that man and the way that he is serving our community and just uh, bringing again his, his experience and his background into the role of government. Thank you today for Representative Kaufman and uh, all those that he serves with and serves with. And just ask, Lord, that you would again minister to all of those in authority over us so that they would recognize their right role and work in that accordingly. God, I just need to end all this by saying thank you for being the God who is over it all. One who believe, the one who we can only believe and trust has all things in control, is working all things in an orderly fashion due to your sovereign plan and your will. And thank you for including us in that. God, we're surrendering our lives to you right now. We're here for such a time as this. Use us, use us to make a difference. In Jesus' name I pray.